there, wasn't it? We need more room. We're a superior race. Get out the way. So basically, the five original principles are that organisms increase at a higher rate than their food supply, and then some of them die because there's not enough food. And then the second principle is organisms with characteristics that are superior, that they can walk faster or climb faster, tend to retain and survive because they have certain uh, physical abilities. And the third principle states that no matter what, two individuals are not identical, and we see that diversity in every species. And fourth principle notes that some individuals possess variations that are most helpful in adapting to an environment. Uh, we see that uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, we definitely see that. And they, this enables them to produce more offspring. So basically, if, if certain species of dogs know how to hunt, therefore the theory goes that they tend to retain their survival skills and they keep growing, whereas the other species slowly start to diminish. Uh, supposedly, yes. So the Darwin's principle actually concludes that these offsprings, uh, offspring which are able to survive will inherit the favored characteristics of their parents and pass them on to children. Each generation maintains and improves the characteristics and the theory goes that they diverge. So for example, I have hunting skill or clawing skill and then my son should technically have more clawing skills and then his son has more points. And new forms ultimately are supposedly uh, very different. Well, come, come sit up here, then I can record this. This is interesting. It's interesting, isn't it? So, the fifth principle basically concludes that the offspring will inherit the favored characteristics and pass them on to children. So, a dog's uh, child should be more hunt-worthy and so on and so forth, and they become more and more hunting dogs and so on. And these new forms will be very different than the original and uh, will not be able to uh, breed with them, and therefore they are considered a new species. For example, okay, a theory okay, goes... Okay. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but by chance, you're sitting in such a position that's not so good for speaking to everyone. So let's some have some intelligent design here. And could you move over there? You sit, and then I can yeah, turn you sit here... And that's, this is an example of intelligent design at work. Okay, that's better, isn't it? Yeah, much better. So basically the theory goes that, okay, men came from monkeys and therefore uh, certain monkeys evolved because of their superior skills and they became men and other monkeys did not and they remained as this new breed. I mean, the, the common thing that's raised by a number of Christian churches is, okay, if monkey evolved into man, why are some monkeys still monkeys? And well, so Prabhupada said that first, before the Christians, if you don't mind. Prabhupada de definitely said this in 1966. I think that's as he arrived. Yeah. He brought up so many questions. Anyway, go on. I have a lot of questions to ask yeah, you. There are actually way too many questions. So if you really look at these five original principles, these original principles are not so much as uh, uh, contravening any of the standard religious principles, but it's just that a naturalist's natural view. He looks at a little fly, and he looks at a larger fly, and he looks at a uh, lizard and says, okay, maybe this fly became this fly, and this fly became this fly. Lots of leaps of faith, essentially. So well, there does seem to be, I mean, it's not just a leap of faith, but they, 
they show that certain uh, certain limbs or certain glands they they have a resemblance yes so darwin says yes there are certain resemblances so maybe one animal has larger uh, wingspan then it becomes smaller and then and one of the smaller. dinosaurs was which was reptile reptile it had a, a bird like characteristic design form form and that later became extinct but there's an idea that that was like the prototype bird or so i mean it's not just a i mean they they it's not totally unscientific in as much as there is a lot of supposed justification isn't it so there is justification and in order to get that justification what darwin did was he collected all these birds and reptiles yeah. over a five year period to say yeah. okay this bird looks close to this reptile so chances are uh, so there was this reptile which slowly morphed into getting its wings and then it started flying out and so on well really what he was looking at was birds on different islands in the Galapagos Islands mm-hmm. and you have these finches which all started from one species the Galapagos are thousands of miles off the South American coast mm-hmm. so um, like statistically you have like species introductions every I think it's like 10,000 years in such a scenario so I mean these islands were around for a long time until you know scientifically birds got there and it was probably just one species Excuse of what do you mean scientifically Well, statistically, like statistically, when you have an island, for instance, out Hawaii, Hawaii is a great example. They've done studies, and a speciation event, like a new species arriving at an island in the middle of the ocean, mm-hmm. takes place once every ten thousand years, just That's by chance. That's a statistical possibility, right? That right. the bird what sits on a log or something sits on a log, gets blown over by the yeah. by the wind or something. Yeah. So once every ten thousand that, years. That's so. pretty tough. I mean, even ten thousand years, because you got to get at least a pair yeah yeah and more than a pair because if there were only one pair then the uh, in their offspring are going to exactly. have exactly yeah. yeah it's the odds are infinitesimally small yeah but the idea was there is there is a pair that got to these islands which are way off the coast and each of these islands has different types of food sometimes some of the islands have like big nuts and some have small seeds and other islands have different types of food. So he looked at their beaks and they were all different even though they all descended from the same species. Like theoretically. Theoretically. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were thinking theoretically here. But they all had different beaks well suited for uh, their specific food types. Right. So that's and that's, that's, and that's the trait that, that um, Darwin says is important for survival and therefore the beaks got either bigger or smaller as the necessity of that right. land happens. Now, uh, Darwin, Darwin gave five original principles, but modern evolutionary theory isn't really Darwinism, it's like neo-Darwinism. It is neo-Darwinism, actually. From that, right. yeah. Can you tell uh, us some more about that? Yes, yeah, so uh, if I may jump a couple of slides. If you look at the most current research, uh, so, so 1864, actually survival of fittest was not Darwin's idea, because Darwin was basically a naturalist. He's yeah. just collecting various data points. But uh, this person called Herbert Spencer basically coined the word survival of the fittest based on Darwin's thinking. Mm. And if you fast forward 100 years, the current thinking is under the Darwinian regime, natural selection has been so-called blind. Complications aside, there are some mutations which are quasi-random, mutation as the hand becoming actually a feather so that I can fly and so on. But this thing or called... Or maybe vice versa. Or vice versa. Yeah. And then there's this concept called, we are discussing evolution theory, and then right. we will talk about creationism later. 
So we have a very interesting set of people here, people working for Microsoft, people, uh, students at the University of Washington. We have writers. It's a very eclectic okay. crowd. So uh, this, this thinking about paradise engineering. So if I have, if, if nature has taken 10,000 years to make a feather into a hand, I could potentially in the lab. Yeah, it would really take. Yeah, probably millions, yeah. probably millions. Yeah. So maybe I can, sorry, go ahead. I would, I would just like to comment on the fact that uh, according to Darwin's observation, you know, he, he, of course he came to the idea that you know, every 10,000 years or so, there would be a, a new species of finches perhaps, finches perhaps, you know, when the Galapagos Islands. You know, what they call evolution, is it, is it then not the uh, variety of species? Yes, essentially he's talking about evolution as a variety of species discussion rather than uh, more so the survival of fittest. The survival of fittest was coined... Yeah, yeah, but it's all become more streamlined. The, his basic ideas have obviously become more streamlined later. I mean, yeah. a lot of the things we talk about now, like you know, Cell's genetic theory, there was no idea. There was no genetic theory yes. during Darwinism. So the modern thinking, if you should fast forward 100 years, that's when this whole genetic theory, Mendel's genetic proposition that certain genes can be modified came yeah. about. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to make a comment on adaption because uh, well, it seems to me that anything that uh, endures within its environment, of course, have to adapt to this environment, undoubtedly so. So uh, we have, in fact, again, to the finches, we have these variety of finches because according to their phenotype, they adapt better to the environment. Some have larger beakers, beaks, some you know, medium beaks, other small beaks, according to the purpose of the beaks. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, it's, I look at it two ways, being, being a social thing as well as a you know, scientific thing. Right. So that's a very good observation. It's a social thing also. So when you say we, we try to fit around our social thinking, whatever we observe in nature. So and when we study people of Seattle versus New York, we say New York has a certain kind of hip-hop and Seattle has a certain kind of music and so on. So we try to fit patterns to observations, and that's exactly what Darwin did. So he was looking at, yes, correlation. So just like any other correlation, correlation is not causation. My statistics professor once said, um, women who are thin, uh, according to his analysis, have husbands who make more money. Is that really? Uh, so correlation is not causation. Just because women are thin, it's not like they are snagging husbands who have, have more money get the thin women. <laughs> so correlation is definitely not causation. So uh, there is correlation. Good women go for the rich men. Supposedly, I mean, it's also yeah, that's that's the uh, theory off the top of my head. Anyway, go on. Yeah. Let's, fin let's finish your I finish your presentation. Then I want to make a few questions. Then maybe I'll make a presentation. Okay. So this whole concept about if you take Darwin's theory, then you take Herbert Spencer's survival of fittest, and then if you come to Mendel, Mendel, Joseph Mendel. Yeah, I think he came. Didn't he come before Darwin? Well, his theory existed there before Darwin, but it was only in 1970s people oh, started doing genetic right, engineering right, because right, you could yeah. do gene splicing using the laboratory equipment and you had better microscopes and mm -hmm. better splicers. You need very fast rotation for these genes to separate because these are thickly coiled helix, mm -hmm. so you need to uncoil them. So that machinery didn't exist before. So only in the 70s real gene theory started. And the current thinking, 2007 is we could actually engineer paradise. So how can you engineer paradise? Yeah, I can take probably two of your genes, 
two of his genes and two of a monkey's genes and two of a swan's genes and engineer a baby who is really perfect, who looks nice and handsome and has all the qualities, potentially can fly. So that's the current thing, so-called paradise engineering, that we can actually create paradise on Earth. Frankenstein flies. Flying Frankenstein. (laughs) (laughs) So so, so that's the thinking. Um, In the interest of time, uh, I would like to call out this slide on natural selection. Where, where is this? Sorry? You have a slideshow? That's the slide. Oh, the, usually you put this on the slide. So yeah, okay. I, I was, uh, when we first started, there were only a few people, so I didn't bother to read it together and Okay. Great. I don't have numbers, but one, two, That's three, great. four, five. Yeah. So you are evolving. So this uh, molecular biologist, Michael Denton, who is a biologist from um, uh, about three or four years ago, you could basically look him up on Google or MSN Life, uh, basically says that Darwin claimed that the original species were very simple, like the single-celled animal to the amoeba to multicellular organization to maybe the first uh, little worm crawling in the you know, primordial ocean to finally these little fish and fish became... Mm-hmm. supposedly reptiles and reptiles became animals also. He says that although the tiniest bacterial cells are incredibly small, if you look at a small bacteria that you know when we get some kind of illness, they are weighing less than 10 to 12 grams in the body. Each is in effect a veritable micro miniaturized factory containing thousands of exquisitely designed pieces of molecular machinery. So essentially what he says is, even the smallest organization can be infinitely complicated. So it's not like only the human being is infinitely complicated. There could be small entities that are infinitely complicated. That is to say like a whole entire universe existing within an atom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's from the physics side. But we are talking about primarily molecular biologists. Yeah, that's higher up. I mean, in terms of... It's more... Less micro. So even even more micro is in... in infinitesimally small, which is in infinitesimally small, is infinitely complex. So yeah. th- this scientist actually quotes 100,000 million atoms. 100,000 million atoms are fit into this smallest of the organization. So Darwin, he basically flips Darwin's theory. You can actually look him up on the internet. He flips Darwin's theory altogether. He says, okay, Darwin thought about this natural selection, but I found a flaw. So that's how scientific evolution happens. Ten years ago, somebody thinks they have the greatest find, and fast forward ten years, and people say, okay, I found something different. That's the nature of the modern evolution of science. So let, let, let's see. I mean, this I, I took this, uh, and I'll, let's fo- uh, forward one other page. Basically, scientists agree on that evolution does not necessarily make life forms more advanced or more intelligent. So to think that there is an original creature and there is a creature following. Scientists today agree that all these creatures may have coexisted at one point. It's not like, okay, I have the amoeba and amoeba became a lizard and lizard became something else. So they actually are refuting that fact. So so you're saying that they coexisted before they evolved? They coexisted before they evolved. So scientists said today, again, you can look it at wikipedia.com. Basically, they have quotes on the coexistence of these various species simultaneously. One other uh, key statement that threw me off is evolution does not mean progress towards an ultimate goal. 
So just because one animal has become a different animal, doesn't mean there is progress because they could become something else or they could not become something else. In other words, what they are saying is this variation is happening within a small band. So it's not like the amoeba became a human being, but amoeba may change into a couple of other different forms of amoeba. Mm. The lizards can become a couple of different forms of lizards. So essentially the current thinking is there is coexistence of all these species. It's not like there was only amoeba at one point and then there were only lizards and there were only you know, dinosaurs and so on. And the last bullet point is worth calling out. Evolution is not just something that has happened. It's not like a moment in time. It's a basic process in biology and it is continuing within those species' sets. Yeah, I heard an interesting theory, you know, according, according to the, you know, the, the laws of evolution that uh, man at one, at one point in time will progressively evolve into like angelic beings, you know, which they'd be able to fly, you know, superhumans. Uh, that, that was the idea when I was a kid, that, that everything was becoming, with modern education, everyone will become very civilized and good and nice, and everything will be nice. You just have to educate everyone, and everyone will be good, and the world will be wonderful. Positive utopia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it doesn't look like it's happening. Uh, now, I have, a, I have some questions. What do scientists say to the question? Now, they, more or less, they're saying, the, the atheistic scientists... Mm-hmm. We're talking about intelligent design and they say it's religious and some people deny that, but actually it is religious. We're talking more or less, you can dress it in different terms, but more or less we're talking about a God who created everything. So so I'm told, I'll just, without any more euphemisms, talk about atheistic scientists. Now they more or less, what they're saying is that there's not really any intrinsic difference between this body or that body who is sitting there and this table or whatever or this microphone. There's no difference between... Well, there's organisms and dull or just plain matter. This is wood which was taken from an organic being. But this is without consciousness and I have consciousness and even the cell has consciousness now why is it we say survival of the fittest but why would an organization of molecules why should it sub- desire to survive in a particular form why, where does the desire for survival come why is that I mean, we don't. Fi- if I bring an, a chopper and chop this table, then there won't be any protest. If I bring a chopper and try to chop one of you, then then there'll be a reaction. Why? Why is that? Why is that? If I, I and you, if we are just combinations of matter, where? What is this desire? Where does this come from? Where does impetus to do anything come from? What do the scientists say? Is because we are alive. Yeah, well, that's that's begging the question, isn't it? Well, I just like the like you commented on the fact that uh, you know you have consciousness mm-hmm. that a, a, even a cell has consciousness. Perhaps you know in the scheme of things, consciousness itself has evolved. Yeah, but but why why what is what is that? What what is there in matter? This is matter. This is matter. This matter 
is connected with consciousness, desires, motivations, feelings, happiness, distress, and this isn't. None of these pertain to this or this or this. None of that is a living entity. But what what do the scientists say? I, I, I'm asking, so scientists, I'm scientists basically science. say that we are nothing but a combination of chemicals, and right, given right. enough time that they can prove that they can create a single cell organism and then make that into a multi-cell organism and eventually engineer human no, beings. No, but that doesn't answer the question at all. It's got nothing to do with the question. The question is that if I, if intrinsically there's no difference between this body and this microphone stand. This is matter, this is matter. Why, where in this combi- why and how in these combinations of matter does the desire for survival come? What do the scientists say? The whole idea is uh, cell, cells divide, which at our most basic level we consist of cells, bacteria and cells, everything consists of cells, but they uh, they have DNA, and the DNA is what codes for life. And so but the DNA is also matter, so where does desire right. come from? Where does, where does come consciousness from? come from? Well, the whole idea behind, that's what I'm saying, there's not necessarily consciousness. It's you start out with molecules that can self-replicate. Like, without... You might not even have something that's living. You could just have molecules that, in their environment, they just divide. I mean, I'm trying to give an example, but you know how magnets come together? Mm. Well, these molecules come together, too. Mm. And you start out with, like, basic DNA that just by chance happen to come together inside, inside like, a cell, for instance, inside of a little vacuole of... Um, yeah, but why? Why again? It's why should a, a lump of matter desire to replicate itself to survive? Where does that desire come from? Well, it doesn't have to necessarily be a desire. If you look at magnets, I mean, magnets come. But it out. is a desire. The survival of the fittest means that the, the monkey desires to survive. The rat desired the cell. Even the plant grows towards the sunlight. There's, we see in all organisms that they try, they are always acting in a manner that they try to survive and they try to prosper. So where does that come from? Well, after that initial, initial chance moment when you have that that cell that is able to replicate, once you have some sort of molecular system, which is extremely basic, which wouldn't be life that we recognize. Once that's able to replicate, you're going to have that replicating continuously, and as errors occur, as like things change within that, you'll you'll start to develop over billions of years. You'll have consciousness as it gets more and more complicated. Yes, go ahead, please. I'll, like, I would say that, uh, you know, would you, would you say that uh, Things as such as desires or emotions or any or any such disposition, there are spiritual implications in those. They they have to be spiritually discerned. And so to, to say, for instance, that a monkey either desired to be uh, to evolve into a human being or for a human being to obtain. I don't think anyone saying that, that the monkey desired to evolve into a human being. just. But the monkey does desire to survive and to reproduce. Of course, but you know, I've, I've heard it mentioned that uh, you know the monkey evolved into the human. Well, if a monkey in design went to wanting to continue in the species, 
suddenly evolves after thousands of years into a human being, then innately it must have that, that need to, to evolve into a human being or some innate desire to be human. I'm, I'm just asking where it comes from. And you're saying it's, it, it also comes along with evolution. And that it just, it's just by chance at some point that cells which came into being by chance, they also got some, something programmed in them to desire to exist and to prosper. It'd only take one, and then that trait would be the one that's, that would be selected for. That's the theory, yeah. Um, all right. Any so other thoughts on why a monkey should desire to live and continue? Or even, a, even a, any organism. Any, any organism. organism. All, and not any, every organism. Every. Because they're all coexisting today. Today we see monkeys and amoeba and lizards it's, and it's reptiles. It's part of life. We are born with a desire to survive. It's an instinct. <laughs> it doesn't really answer the question. Well, it's like if you're saying that why is the sun bright? And you're saying, well, because it, the sun's like that. It doesn't really answer the question. No, I'm just ask, answering the question. I'm just wondering what scientists say. No, you're mm-hmm. speaking. Um, well, I was just thinking, if you start out with the basic basic self-replicating molecules, which which do exist, and it's not necessarily life, it doesn't qualify as a definition of life, but if you start out with something that's able to replicate, and over time, you know, there, there are minor changes, and so you have these other molecules which have um, have a higher success at replicating, and so, so eventually you'll have, say, a change that enables some sort of consciousness, some sort of desire, and then you're going to have even greater success. And those molecules, or at, at that point, I suppose it would be life once you have that consciousness, mm-hmm. once you have that drive to live. So consciousness comes from matter. Okay, uh, according to this theory, consciousness, yeah, probably consciousness arises from matter. Yeah, chemical okay. reactions. All right. Um, so conscious derives from matter according to evolutionary theory. Now, according to this theory, um, yeah, then consciousness is just a product of matter, and we and uh, every living being is a product of of matter only. Matter and one thing the scientists matter and energy. Well, what's the difference? <laughs> At one level of you know, not in ecology, but in. Uh, in quantum theory. Yeah, in quantum E is equal to MC squared. There's no difference. Okay, I just want to shoot through here because I want to make a few points, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. Um, now, intrinsically, in, in practical human life, evolutionary, th- or, or the, the uh, intrinsic point of evolutionary theory isn't accepted. I'll give an example of that. It it it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't appeal to what we could call natural human ethics. Just like, for instance, bringing out the macabre example of a chopper again. But it brings the it brings the uh, the example brings the point home. Now, if I get a big machete and smash up this car. I'll get arrested and tried for vandalism, right? It's a crime to smash up someone's car, unless it's my own car. So, But if I do the same thing to a human being, I'll get arrested for murder, which is a much more serious offense, isn't it? Now, 
if I say that, well, that's a machine, and the hum- the body's just a machine, so why are you making such a big difference? You could, why why are you making such a big distinction? If it's just a machine, then why? So I'm just saying that in in practical dealings all over the world, it is accepted that human being in particular is more important than a car. Although according to pure science, or they're, they're both intrinsically the same thing. Now, um, alright, I now want to give a little example which I've given maybe hundreds of times about creationism. The idea, the general idea is that the universe, we were talking about biological evolution, but hand in hand with that comes the idea that the whole universe has come into being by chance. There's no particular reason for that. But just uh, the current most popular theory or school of theories is Big Bang Theory, which the most popular version, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that more or less there was nothing and then all of a sudden, very suddenly, there was something. Yeah, supposedly that there was this infinite mass captured in an infinitesimal space and there was this big bang and then the planets came into being and so on. So that's the theory. And then by, by chance everything formed into the world as we see it now. And along with that, at least on this planet, there was biological evolution. So everything is coming to being by chance. It, it, it's unlikely to have happened, they say, because everything is very complex. But anyway, it happened by chance. It, it's unlikely, but the example given of evolution, sometimes the example is given biological evolution, is that if you have enough this, this goes back to the days of typewriters from my school days that if you have enough typewriters and enough monkeys playing around in a room with enough typewriters that in course of time by jumping on the typewriters they will type out all the works of Shakespeare that's the theory that's what we were told at school I don't know if science has evolved since then but that was the example that if, if there's enough time and there's enough typewriters and enough monkeys, enough possibilities, then eventually all the works of Shakespeare will be typed out. So in the same way we can say that, although uh, it appears to be statistically extremely unlikely that the universe can exist in such an ordered form, and that not only on top of the universe existing in such ordered form, but the species and all the interactions from the microcosm to the macrocosm even on this tiny little planet the the uh, complexity of interaction that it does exist is possible by chance so we have an incredible chance that the whole universe is going on in such an ordered way we've heard it said that if the earth was to deviate from its orbit even slightly that within seconds if it went closer to the sun everything would be burned 
life couldn't exist and if it went even slightly away then everything would freeze and again life wouldn't be able to exist yeah, so, human life that usually exists between 10, yeah, 12 degrees every, everything's, within, everything's within very small spectrums our ability to see is within a very limited light spectrum our ability to hear is within a very limited spectrum of sound so um, so um, yeah, it's it, it uh, it's chance. The, the chances are incredible that it could take place. Now, this is an example I often give. There there have been statistical theories brought up in the 1980s. Um, Richard Thompson, who wrote, we have some books by him, God and Science and other few books. Back in the 1980s, he made a demonstration by probability theory that life cannot arise from matter. According to probability theory, if you get the, the probable occurrence of something being so small, one raised to the power of minus 20 million then it's it's called an impossibility statistically so the, the, the possibility of life arising from matter he demonstrated at that time is greater than that anyway here's a practical example this is in Hindi I brought this from India it's called a dhaba and I suppose in English should call it a steel cup. You see, it has has water in it, right? I don't think you get this kind of thing here, is it? It's very common in India. Um, it's quite nicely designed, isn't it? You see, this lid fits on. It's just tight enough so that you can put it upside down; and the water doesn't fall out. Oh, little drop came out there. And it's not, but it's not so tight that you can't take it off easily. Okay, nicely designed, simple thing. Now, if I was to say that, <clears throat> if someone asked me where I got it from, and I said that, well, in the backyard of the apartment where I live, there's a pile of garbage. And one time there was a big storm and I saw all the bits of garbage all blowing together and the, then there was a lightning bolt and it all morphed into this. You're smiling. It's, it's, you wouldn't believe me. If we consider how much intelligence and endeavor has gone into making this simple thing, relatively simple thing. Uh, well, you could, you could write a big book about it. This quality <coughs> of steel, stainless steel, that was developed after a lot of scientific investigation. How to extract iron ore, how to identify it and locate it uh, and mine it. What kind of Iron ore deposits are economical 
for mining, setting up a factory to make steel sheets, designing this in such a way that it, it lasts. It's uh, if someone was really strong, they could not quite a bit stronger than me. They could probably bend it, but I can't bend it. If if you drop it on the floor, it'll retain its shape unless you unless you really smash it. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of thought has gone into designing this in such a way that it's durable. Uh, it doesn't become rusted even after. Uh, this will last for many years. It's not unnecessarily thick. That it, that will increase the price and the weight. But it's, it's just right in all respects. It's a very simple thing, but it's just right. And then there's consideration of is it profitable to make it marketing, wholesale, retail. And then one day I went and I thought, I want one this size. You can get them smaller, you can get them bigger. Just exactly for my purpose, I got this one. So, on the design of this for a particular purpose, so much intelligence went behind that. If you want to study, in various ways it can be studied at the atomic level, at the chemical level. If you leave water in this long enough, um, then some kind of slight reaction will be there. The flavor will be affected of the water, just like if you put water in plastic. The f- there's some flavor, some some chemical interaction is there. Yeah, so basically changes. water seeps into the interstitial spaces between the atoms yeah. and then it, has, it makes ferrous oxide. And uh, different, there, there may be, some, even though this is stainless steel, there are certain substances, just like if, if you put uh, certain, like maybe some alkalis, if you put right. this inside. In sulfuric acid it has reactions and so on. Yeah, yeah. So, all these things have to... It could be the subject of a big study. But the point I'm making here is that it's laughable. It's just a joke to think that it could come into being out of a storm. I mean, however many storms, however strong the hurricanes, and however much garbage you have, you're just not going to get this. And... And... um, Even if you say, well, even just really stretching your imagination very strongly, if you say, well, if there are enough storms and enough garbage, then maybe something like this could come into being. It's still a hell of a lot better theory that it was intelligently designed by a person or people for a specific purpose. Isn't it? So... That's uh, th- that's classical design theory, we can say. That the, that the whole universe we see is extremely ordered, which suggests that there's... If just to put a simple thing like this together takes so much intelligence and effort and purposeful activity, then it suggests that at the macro level that there's a purpose there's intelligence if even a simple thing like this 
can't come into being or by chance, then how is it that the, even even one cell, which is far, I mean, if you don't study this at the molecular level, that even one cell is far more complex. In biology class at school, we were taught that e- the, the, the simplest cells are very, they're actually very simple and within a few years we'll be reproducing them. But nowadays that, that idea is gone because they know even the most simplest, simple cells are far, far too complex for, we, for us to reproduce at this stage. There's talk still in the future. Now, it would seem natural to... It's a a good theory. If we take it as a scientific theory that everything is made by design, then we'll find that everything fits into that. Scientists are looking for one theory of everything. But if we take as a theory, as a hypothesis, that everything in the universe is created by an intelligent creator... We won't find anything in science that contradicts. We won't. We can't find anything that's been observed or hypothesized that uh, contradicts that. It all fits into that. So, this question which has come up, it, it's said here, it's a hot topic of debate in the United States, but actually, it's all over the world. This intelligent design theory. All over the internet, that means more likely. Well, there's, excuse me, there's, I think there's a lot of evidence of evolution, but yeah. I really don't see any real hard evidence of one intelligent Well, creator. actually, can, can I just finish? We had oh. more discussion before you came. We were discussing this. We can go, but we'll discuss more later. Um, so, um, yeah, actually, the. This discussion, it's not simply a scientific discussion. It's also, it also has social and cultural and ethical implications. In Europe, at least, there was a time when everyone believed in the Bible. There was a time that God created the world in how many days? Six. 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 Then he had a day of rest. Right. Right. He created the world in six days, and and although there's no in the Bible, there's there's not a lot of what could be called scientific information of any kind. But the early the early church had a big job filling in the theology and the cosmology and everything else but it was fairly simple and they presumed that the earth is going around sorry, the sun is going around the earth because that's what it looks like they just just presumed that from the vantage point of this world but then later Copernicus and Galileo they came up with a different theory and when scientific observation went against what the church said then the church came into conflict with science so and then it's a big history the age of enlightenment that we shouldn't just believe we shouldn't just believe dogmas 
we should observe and what, what we what we can observe and prove according to a scientific methodology that we should accept and we, we can't accept anything else because the, the Bible has been proved it's said to or, or church dogma has been proved to be insufficient to explain these phenomena so the it's a long history how the church came into conflict with the forces of reason as it was called and it's come back again now creationism versus evolutionism or an intelligent design theory so there are theories also that God there's a God who started it all off and then after that it's God is the primordial button pusher anyway um, this modern science has grown up on the on the background of western thought which originated in the Greek philosophers who were very influential in in uh, as the background to church theory but I represent a different tradition the Vedic tradition which there's never been a division of science and religion or science and scripture because the scriptures themselves have so much description of what nowadays would be called scientific phenomena for instance in the Sanskrit or Vedic literature we have the term paramanu which means it literally means the smallest smallest object or the smallest small thing atomic theory actually the word atom is not really an atom what, what we call atom the, the Greek derivation of the word atom means the smallest thing but then later they found there are smaller things yet so the term paramanu is given um, paramanu means subatomic well in in mod, if you want in to if you want sense. to coordinate it with modern scientific theory but it it, it actually means atom that the derivation of the etymological derivation of this word means the smallest thing but later on they found it's not the smallest thing so um, in Vedic culture uh, an important part of Vedic culture is astrology which is considered hocus pocus by scientists in India and all over the world today but it's actually based on astronomy and we find the Vedic astronomers just as nowadays by, sci by scientific methods which have been developed from observation they can predict the rising of the sun and setting of the sun and moon in various locations the arrival of various comets the seasons the weather and so many things so Vedic astronomers could do this also they, they, the names of the planet 
the names of the planets are given. In, we have the the days of the week: Raviva, Manga, uh, Somva, Mangalva, Budva, Guruva. So these are, these correspond to the sun, the moon. Mangal is Mercury, or Buddha is Mercury. I can't remember. Anyway. I think Mangal is Mercury. Yeah. And then uh, Shukra is Venus. Brihaspati is Jupiter. So it is going a long way back before the Roman and Greek traditions. Now Buddha is Mars, so Mangal is Mercury. Yeah. And uh, the last one is Shani, Saturn. Yeah. So the, there was never this division of science and religion. The, the description is given of the universal working and the description is given that everything arises from sound, which is interesting because in the Bible it says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God. But that it describes a gradual process of evolution of elements from sound, but the sound originally comes from beyond the material universe, from the spiritual universe, of which this material universe is a replica. It's a uh, perishable replica, whereas the spiritual world is eternally existing. Now, another interesting concept that's been adopted in modern science is that of linear time. There's the idea there was a beginning and there's an end. At some point, it will end. Uh, but in Vedic science, the material universe is stated to be... It's circular time. That There is creation or the beginning of the universe. It exists for some time and then it's destroyed. And then again, after some time, it's created and again it is destroyed. So Some scientists call that destruction as going into the black hole and again emerging back into white dwarf and this and that. Okay, But anyway, the point is that it's all there. And it's interesting that according to modern science, the universe is, the universe is expanding and everything is gradually moving away. But that's also in the, uh, the Vedic description, that the universes emerge in seed form from the gigantic transcendental form of Mahavishnu, who is an expansion of the original form of God. They emerge in seed form and they expand and eventually there is destruction of the universe. So everything is going on under control. So, yeah, the, the point I'm making here is that in the Vedic description there is no separation of... The, the separation of religion and science was uh, due to what we would say is that the lack of scientific knowledge of the in the Christian world but it was unnecessary that there was a separation of science and religion. In the Vedic description there is science and it, everything is described you can do observation and you'll come you can come to the same conclusions but if it's already there then we can under just like 
you're, stu- you're studying ecology. But you didn't start from scratch. You started, there's a whole body of knowledge, huge body of knowledge by so many different scientists before you. Who have been, so you are learning what they have discovered. So if the knowledge is already there, then why, why should you think, well, I, I won't bother going to school, I'll just I'll start by myself, I'll just start observing everything myself. If you're a complete genius, you might get as far as Newton, just from scratch. Even Newton had, you know, he had to be taught one plus one equals two at some point. Two plus two equals four. So, if there is knowledge, scientific knowledge, with a good theory to hold it all together, which is ancient also, and it's the Vedic scientific knowledge, it it is not changing as modern science is just like we're talking about Darwin's theory that's been modified and there's so many different theories and sub-theories. A few years ago I read that um, among atomic physicists there are about 2,000 different theories of the origin of the universe. And that includes non-origin theories also. That there was, there is no origin. So I was discussing this with an atomic physicist and I said that, well... There are probably not more than a, probably not much more than about two thousand atomic physicists in the world anyway. So it would seem that everyone has a different theory. Of course, these different theories are uh, many of them are similar. And she told me that there well many some some of the atomic physicists they have more than one theory also. But Vedic science isn't like that. It's the, the idea is that the knowledge is there and you just have to access it. If it's already there, then there's no point to fiddle and as we just saw that t-shirt fart about. Someone had a t-shirt saying who farted. So there's no reason to fiddle and mm-hmm. fart about. And, but if, if the knowledge is there, you can take it. So Vedic knowledge is there. It's actually very advanced knowledge. Vedic mathematics... You want to say something? There isn't that much time, but the Vedic mathematics, those who are trained in it, you can just tell them two 20-figure numbers and ask them to multiply it, and they'll tell you. They'll tell you. Faster than you can enter it in a computer. There's a system. Of course, you have to have a brain to do it, but there's a, there's, that's the very simple thing, multiplication. But uh, Vedic mathematics, it, it's, it's as in modern science, all the sciences fit together. So t- for Vedic astronomy and cosmology, it requires good knowledge of mathematics to predict the appearance of comets, to predict the rising of the sun and the moon in any particular location. It requires a good knowledge of mathematics. So that's already there in the Vedic knowledge. Now, whatever our theory may be, by that everything comes into being by chance, or everything comes from an intelligent designer, ultimately it's faith, because we, we can't go back in time and see. And uh, we're very tiny little beings. Uh, on a, uh, we're in a tiny little blip of time, on a tiny little planet, in a tiny little universe, and how much can we know? So we can only theorize. And ultimately, whether we accept this way or that way, 
it comes down to faith. And we may remain undecided also. That we, we Someone may say we can't know. But our proposition is that if there is a good theory, just like the theory of how this came into being, if we say that it's the, this has come into being by the uh, efforts of scientists, technologists, businessmen, the need of the consumer, there are various factors at work, intelligent, purposeful factors at work. So if it's a good theory to accept that there is purpose and design behind this and therefore behind the whole universe it, uh, which is unimaginably more complex than this uh, that to accept that there is intelligent purpose behind it it seems to be a very good theory to accept it on faith is not unreasonable especially if we have a whole body of knowledge that goes back uh, further in time than evolutionary theory would accept that there is intelligent life on this planet uh, which is advanced in many areas even beyond what modern science has developed in many theories in gynecology and space travel and so many areas so our point is well why not accept it ultimately what we say we talk about proof in science but ultimately everything is faith anyway because proof of anything accepts it rests on accepting some axioms at some level just like uh, we would consider that I, I don't have to it's not required to prove that we're all sitting here and having a discussion we don't require proof of that do we we accept it as an as an axiom. You're sitting there. You're sitting there. I'm sitting here. I'm talking. Don't worry. You're going to be talking in a few minutes. God willing, uh, we'll have more discussion. But if someone wants to be really stubborn, they could say, "Well, I don't believe you exist. I don't believe I exist." And then there's no dis- even to discuss anything. We, as a prerequisite, we have to accept that the words that I'm saying they convey more or less the same meaning to you that uh, that I intend them to you have intelligence you can process all of this so we have to start at we have to accept some things on faith and actually everything we do is with faith everything we do just like you came in here with the you didn't think about it but you have the faith that if you come in here you're more or less safe. No one's going to pull out that machete which we've mentioned several times and chop you to pieces. You have faith in that, right? That well, the more you keep talking about it, anyway. yeah. Don't worry, we're going to give you nice food, not the machete. But it's, it's an example that we often use because it's graphic and it brings it home. So, when you walk on the street, you have faith that the ground in front of you will support you now you may say well that that's obvious but it is faith because you didn't go and measure it and see how strong it is so ultimately everything we do is based on faith and it's just a question of where we draw the line that is it 
it's intelligent faith to accept that I can walk we hope that you can walk in here and get a nice meal and not become a nice meal for the uh, dogs and the uh, the vultures you don't have vultures here only in the zoo um, flies so uh, it's intelligent faith to think that you can sit down and the floor will support you so it's a matter of where we draw the line and, and it, people believe in evolutionary it seems to me that people they tend to believe in God or they believe in evolutionary theory by chance and a lot of the times it seems to me more based on what we want to believe than on logical under- or reasonable understanding we'll find that this intelligent in, what is it, intelligent design theory and evolutionary theory it's hotly debated and pe- it, people are very partisan in this because everyone wants to th- what belief ca- it seems to me that belief comes first and science comes afterwards because both, both are science, they're both on both sides there are qualified scientists. As the saying that William Blake said, that we, we both read the Bible day and night, where, black, where I see black, you see white. They're studying the same thing, but coming up with different conclusions. Anyway, I'm presenting that uh, this division between science and religion was unnecessary. It's, it's more of a socio-historical phenomenon than uh, a truly scientific or religious one and that if we could be a little cool-headed about it we could see that there is along with the Vedic scripture there is not only mention of the existence of an intelligent designer but a lot of knowledge of this universe which can help us to be convinced that the people who are talking about this are intelligent just like um, we'll find in the Vedic scriptures or the Vedic literature description of time from the time at the micro level in that Srimad Bhagavatam there's a series of colorful books there so that's in 18 volumes. In the third canto of that, there is a description, a calculation of time from the smallest, from the, from the very slightest time, the time it takes one atom to move past another, up to cosmic time, the, the, how long the universe exists. So, and, and right after that, in the next subject, uh, is the or shortly after that in the same canto is a description of the spiritual world now one subject is uh, might appear, is quite appealing to students of the history of science the others science, the subject of the description of the spiritual world scientists might just think well that's just poppycock you know, what is this one is appeals to our intelligence at this level, what we can observe here and now in this world. But the same author who has given that knowledge has also given a description of a world beyond that which we can perceive. So our proposition is that 
modern science is extremely limited to accept only that which we can ob- observe and what we can hypothesize based on what we can observe because we are tiny beings with a tiny intelligence on a tiny planet with, in a tiny span of time even the, the whole history of modern civilization only goes back what, 3,000 years maximum it's a, t- it's a blip in time all the amassed knowledge is it's still very little and it would seem reasonable to accept that there, there is, there are, there are far broader areas of perception and knowledge beyond that which we can immediately perceive through our intelligence. And that knowledge is there. We have faith because what is presented on this level, we can observe. It fits with the descriptions. And there are descriptions also of a of an existence transcendent to this material existence. So how can one increase that perception? There are me- there there are methods given also to access the transcendental level of perception. It's but it requires a certain methodology. Just like if we want to study basic chemistry, what do we use? We use litmus paper and. I'm going back a long time. I don't know if they're still litmus paper. And uh, Bunsen burners. And in physics we have prisms and biology, scalpels. And if we want to study the history of Seattle, where would you probably go to the public library? You might uh, investigate the... the, the, um, the Native American people before white man came there, there, there's different methodologies for studying different topics right so if we are to study the transcendental topics we have to adopt the right methodology if we say that we cannot understand God or spirit because we don't perceive according to what are called scientific methods that's self-defeating in itself because you just like you can't study the history of Seattle with a Bunsen burner. However good a chemist you are, however you are expert in chemistry, um, that won't help you to understand anything about the history of Seattle. You have to you have to adopt a different methodology. You have to use the methodology of history. So to understand spirit, first of all, you you have to have some faith that there is something there. Many of the great scientific discoveries have come about because people, they had a, a completely different way of looking at things, which in the beginning was considered unscientific. And it, was, they, it wasn't accepted, but eventually it came to be accepted because people tend to get straight-jacketed in their way of thinking. So it's a quantum leap. If we accept as a theory, as a hypothesis, that consciousness comes from spirit. Consciousness is a phenomena that is not produced by matter. That matter at any stage doesn't produce consciousness. Consciousness is a result of spirit and the bodies develop from the interaction of spirit and matter. Don't go without eating. Uh, I'd love to, but... Take a meal with you then. 
Okay, I think we better fold up here. So I'll get some phone calls. Otherwise, <laughs> we're over time anyway. I enjoyed it. It's a little bit of a short time, Thank isn't it? <coughs> we should actually. Why don't you make a, a series of lectures? Best is to have a series of lectures with discussion because it's too sh- it's too much to put in a short time. Anyway, there's a lot more to say. But anyway, I'm just I'm just we. Our proposition is if we hy- we can hypothetically at least accept that there is spirit, there is intelligent design by spirit behind all this, and if we adopt the methodology to understand this, we can perceive how we are spirit and what is our relationship with that supreme spirit. That's all. So while people have a prashadam, can we have a Yeah, we can, yeah, yeah. Well, let's have more discussion. Are oh, you understanding? Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. That's a good idea. So uh, you had a question. I don't know if that was answered. Um, no, I, I. Yeah, sort of. I mean, I, I, like you said, we can sit here in the short period of time and, and talk. And it's just, I think that would take a long time. To yeah. Really cover everything. My point is that the whole, uh, the whole intelligent design versus create versus evolutionism. It's it's being conducted in a partisan spirit, but scientists should actually be. If they're actual scientists, the the ethic of science is that we're supposed to observe matter, what what we've observed, and impartially try to come to some conclusion. So the partisanship that's not scientific. If we're actually neutral, we should, in a neutral, objective manner, try to understand. We oh, have a question there. We'll get to those questions and then come to you. In but, but I, I, again, we, if we neutrally observe, it's it's a good hypothesis that everything comes from an original intelligent source. Yes, please. Go well, ahead. I, I perceived by the lecture that uh, you were speaking more in favor of you know, pro-intelligent design. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yes, uh, intelligent creator. Because uh, even scientifically, it follows the net. Even the left, the natural law. <laughs> well, even scientifically, it follows the, the natural laws of like causes and effects. Take a little bite. Spiritual food. Some things come into being by causes and effect, and God happens to be the chief of all causes. So. Um, and even, and even scientifically, you know, Francis Bacon, he was the one to uh, originate the, uh, the the scientific method, you know, the the Baconian laws, whatnot, and which which laws, you know, science was basically founded on, you know, uh, as well as the the philosophies of the Greeks, whatnot, and uh, Pythagoras, uh, you know, etc. Yeah. Yes, and and so you know, it, it seems you know, especially in this modern day, you know, modern culture, you know, uh, how modern sciences. Taking something that is, of course, a, came into being by creation and somehow gave it gave it a certain you know defined logic and you know had these induction and deduction of logic and and they they made this 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 complex system. Whereas you, with the illustration of the the tin can, you 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 show with valid proof that you know something so simple, you know, serves its purpose, yet was was created by intelligent design. And that it serves a purpose. For instance, you know, 
uh, what is the purpose of a chair? You know, you sit in a chair and it supports you, and that the chair is, you know, suits its purpose. And that, and that the chair is glorified. So, uh, that is to say, you know, whatever science aims at, it, it, it still has all these theories, and there's so many ideologies that are circulating. But yes, I, you know, intelligent design, I'm all for it. <laughs> Another example. Like, okay, There's a question from the back. Oh, he raised his hand first. Okay. I, 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 have, um, all right, go on. I noticed that uh, you, were, you were espousing the scientists to be neutral and uh, not be biased. But you sounded biased to me. Yeah. You, I noticed that whenever you were talking about scientists and scientific community, you used words like theory and notion. But when you talk about religion, you... St- talked about it like, oh, whatever they believe in is fact. But yeah, I'm, I'm biased. I said that at the beginning. Uh, well, I'm, I'm presenting a, but I'm saying that the scientific outlook is, by its definition, is supposed to be neutral. But I'm pointing out that they're not, actually. I it's, find it to be quite it's, neutral. It's, well, it's highly partisan. That's why this whole discussion is coming about. Creationism versus evolutionism. Have you scientists who are, who are combating about this uh, have you ever known? Of course, because you're trying to obfuscate science with religion. And uh, there's a, a thick line between what you believe and what you know. For example, you were speaking earlier, well, uh, uh, you were I'm using the word... Excuse me, but I, I did discuss that ultimately everything comes down to what we say we know, ultimately rests on belief at some level. That's nonsense. There are cer- certain things you can prove... Well, By proof, what tests. does it mean? What does it mean? Proof. You're not going to obfuscate it in my mind. It ain't going to happen. Proof means that we have to accept some axioms. We can only prove something... Like 2 plus 2 equals 4? Of yeah. course. Come yeah, on. but you have to... 2 plus 2 equals 4. Okay, how do we prove that? Bring two apples and two apples. But if I really want to be stubborn, I could say that... Well, actually, there are three apples, but you can't see another one. Or maybe there, maybe there are three or four, but I can't okay, see. Okay, well, them. I don't engage in it. such nonsense. But that's yeah. That's <laughs> what we. That you accept as an axiom. But that, again, your argument is believe your question. Right, because you believe anything if you believe in God. That is that statement is not uh, based on scientific. Yeah, that's not a sci- That's not that's scientific at all. That doesn't go with anything that you've got before. All right, okay. All right, sir. All right, sir. You say you say trust me. There's no God, and I'm saying trust me. There is. It's up to you. But we're trying to discuss intelligence here. No, so it's just a matter. You've brought everything down to belief only. You just brought everything down to belief only. You confuse the word belief with no. But no, but you you yourself, sir, said trust me. That means you're... I was joking. Do you understand humor? (laughs) I didn't literally mean trust me. I'm using your language because to show you how silly it sounds. Well, it sounds silly to you. Others have to judge themselves. I was just wondering um, what you believe the relationship between Maya and... um, and the spiritual world actually is. Now we're going here beyond the discussion at hand. Um, belief. Actually, we've been talking a lot about belief. But 
if we are to understand the spiritual world which you're asking about then it's not going to be resting simply on belief is it in other words like just for you're asking my, my belief about the spiritual world so I could say it's like this and someone else will say it's like that but what it is like what the spiritual world is like it doesn't rest on our belief actually this whole point the existence of God or non-existence of God it's not a matter of belief is it? If God, if God exists he exists if he doesn't exist then he doesn't exist and it's not a matter of belief well it's not it's not, it's not about it's what I'm talking about is I'm asking you what you believe that what you believe the correlation between um between existence itself, the body, and that energy, and what you believe that correlation is with. Okay. All right. That, the point I'm making here is that something on this level is beyond belief. What is the nature of the spiritual world? We can't ascertain through any material means. So we have to accept the scriptures which describe that. So it's not it's not my belief. And scriptures talk in detail about Maya and yeah. what's happening on a normal basis. So that's a much larger discussion. That's that why God exists or not exists. That is ultimately a matter of faith. But if we accept that God exists, then how He exists, who He is, what He is, it doesn't depend on our belief. We have to take information about that from the scripture. Scripture means His communication to us. So the scriptures describe there is Maya. Maya means there are various definitions of the word Maya. Maya means energy. Maya means this external or this material world means the energy that which is not, that which does not ultimately exist. So you're you're talking about your body and me, but paraphrase it's non-existent energy. No, it's, it's energy is existent, not non-existent. Hmm. So when you're saying me, my body, the Vedic scriptures beginning with the Bhagavad Gita, that describes that the body is made of material energy, that is te- everything that is temporary. But the soul which gives, exist, which gives life, that the soul which is the source of consciousness, that is spiritual energy. So the spiritual energy belongs in the spiritual world, but we are in this material world. In this material world, there is creation and destruction. There is birth, death, old age and disease. There is suffering. The spiritual world is a condition of full happiness with no death. So the relationship between Maya and the spiritual world, this whole material world is produced of maya or material energy it is a world of constant change which produces constant suffering but it is a perverted reflection of the spiritual world which we have to go to by the spiritual means of chanting Hare Krishna your question yes. oh, yeah. go ahead oh, um, I can speak loudly I'm fine um, so getting back to the science versus sort of like the scope of the, the discussion. Um, I think one like one basal, basal element of science is like the idea of like the null hypothesis 
if anyone like the the null hypothesis is sort of like an interesting thing about science is like so for every and and like that goes along like even going further back is like the whole thing about a hypothesis in science is that like nothing can ever be proven or it can just be like reaffirmed until it's disproven and right, right, right. so I think like taking that into account for like the whole um, uh, well we're discussing at a classical level now. Yeah. are we now okay um, because that's what most people at this at this level understand okay um you can take it higher. I'm, I'm trying to think because I you remember. Can take it higher also. Ta I don't know. What do you mean higher, or lower, like classical, like isn't? Well, the classical understanding of science, just like our friend was saying, is that things have been proven and disproven, and that's what we're taught at the basic level of science. I, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. We're speaking at the basic level that, and that's what I was attempting to say. But our friend. Well, I mean disagrees, which go, which just goes I mean, to show that. So, so you, do you have a question? I mean, I think you supported uh, uh, his I mean, argument. I'm, 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 support. I'm not supporting. I'm, I'm neutral. I okay. Neutrality. I'm, I'm a microbiologist by, okay. by training. Profession. One interesting thing is that uh, that's another consideration is that ultimately no one's neutral either. No one's truly neutral. Well, we're all individuals. We, we can try to be objective, but no one can be truly neutral. We're all conditioned by our upbringing and our outlooks and our desires well for the sake of the discussion but we, we can try to be objective okay that's what I'm trying to do um, so I just wanted to note like to say one thing about like in one of the one of the elements of science is that nothing can be like nothing is supposed to be able to be proven yeah, it's I mean, just supposed to be the best explanation until there's another explanation. Exactly, that's called the null hypothesis. But I, I do not have a better alternative answer, therefore this is my best answer. And ten years later I come and revise that. Well, that's actually... Observation uh, and that's just the best hypothesis. A null hypothesis is if, like, if my hypothesis is that the sky is blue because of reason A, because... Um, like the sky is blue because the reflection off the I don't know why the sky is blue, but because the reflection there you go, okay, and then the null the null hypothesis would be it would just be reversing that statement to say it's it's not blue it's it's not blue because of that that's what the null hypothesis now, it's just um, what what's being said then is that there's no ultimate knowledge anyway not knowledge or knowledge is. What we call knowledge is it's not actually relative. Yeah, it's, that's the point. It's all relative. But our friend here has said that there is, um, is there are about. some things which I agree with you. Two plus two equals four. Uh, so there are some things which we can accept more or less as axiomatic. It's pretty, it's pretty tough to consider how anyone could at any point in time say two plus two equals four point zero 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 one. <laughs> That's part of the theory. But in what we would call common sense, if such a thing can be admitted, two apples plus two apples equal four apples. So, and uh, so absolute knowledge means that knowledge which is not subject to 
further change which is true in all times places and circumstances so if i may add actually 2 plus 2 is only 4 in our planet in a stationary mode if one of the apples is traveling at the speed of light you cannot see it and therefore it's only 3 apples or it could be an imagined apple you you someone could say well how do i know the apple really exists that's okay. next question yeah okay. i i know so our point our point is that there should be real knowledge means that which is true in all times places and circumstances which may not be possible in this material sphere well i just well i just want to you know point out two two subjects of an argument you know the belief in god you know opposed to the scientific approach to you know the the way in which the universe is being governed or trying to define the natural laws and <clears throat> causes effects of things uh, be it mechanics etc whatever and so like what would you think of the maxim i exist because god exists or god exists because i exist you know that's that is to be you know spiritually discerned that's a spiritual implication whereas you know scientifically you know A must precede B and B must follow C, you know, and subsequently it, it goes on to whatever mode or methodology of, you know, the scientific approach. But to say that I exist because God exists or to say that A must precede B, that seems to me, you know, to be equally equally, you know, sufficient. You know, it's it's suffices and one cannot either be proven because there's always a, a either a solution yet to be obtained whereas, you know, like a belief in god it's just it's just it's just a matter of faith and faith cannot be rationalized indeed a lot of things cannot be rationalized theorized you know, made it to some ultra sensory perception just to clarify our existence but yeah if god is everything then he is everything yeah okay um this discussion has been going on for thousands of years in various forms and probably will go on for thousands of years we're not going to be here in this particular form for thousands of years and i don't think any of you want to stay here even thousands of minutes because we all have to go on so uh thank you very much for coming i'm going to call this particular session to an end with the observation or or we can throw out the question i think we can all agree these are important subject matters right even though we may not agree we can all agree that these are important subject matters for a moment we made them important these are <laughs> these are they're important in as much as from the perspective of human society they're important it's a hot debate it is important uh in as much as we it's important there are important means that's a relative term some things are important some things are less important so uh we've all found it important enough to come and discuss this and talk about it and think about it and actually it is imp- if what the religion if what the religions of the world are saying is true uh it is important to think about it because if it is true what they say then we really blew it by not taking it seriously so it warrants more discussion another point is that discussion will never come to an end so ultimately 
If we want to understand, we have to take knowledge from a higher source. That is there in every sphere. To learn to speak a knowledge, to learn to speak a language, to learn anything, even to learn two plus two equals four, someone has to guide us. So that question about what is Maya, what is the spiritual world, all these things can be learned if we have some basic basic faith in that by following the methodology. Part of the methodology you're taking part in right now by eating this food, which is spiritual food. You may ask, how is it spiritual food? It looks like food, but it's spiritual food because it is offered to Krishna and it has a spiritualizing potency. There is a spiritual process which reveals spiritual existence for those who wish to take it up. For those who don't have faith in it, it will remain forever uh, uninteresting, foolish. But even if you think like that, you're welcome to come and take this nice food and gradually by taking this your outlook will change. 